This morning we're continuing our series on um, a servant-hearted life uh, in, in Hebrews 13. And we have two people uh, sharing the, the, the message this morning. Uh, we have Richard Ward and we have Babe Jenkins. Woo! And uh, they're... Their theme and topic they're going to kind of talk around is doing good and generosity. So will you put your hands together and give a cheer for Richard Ward? Awesome. I've not had a response like that before, but actually you've not heard me yet. But first of all, what I would love to do is just to say thank you to Pete Hunt and to Tim, who, who've done the previous verse. Uh, it was really good to hear from you guys a couple of weeks ago. So well done, guys. It was just fantastic. And if you haven't actually heard what they said, I'd encourage you to go to the LCC website where you can listen to all of the talks from this series. It will really do you good. Right. So we're in. And I also have the privilege of sharing with Bev. Now, if anyone knows Bev... You'll know that if you want to see a true servant-hearted individual, you see what Bev does. Just fantastic. So just what an honour, and it's just a privilege, Bev, to share this with you this morning. So we are going to go on a bit of a journey this morning. Now, Jane, my wife, she's around somewhere. Oh, there she is. Hello, you've moved. I was looking for you, and you've disappeared. Anyway, she'll tell you that I love a good journey, but one thing she will tell you is, I like to plan I, don't, I like to know where I'm going. I like to know how I'm going to get there. I like to make sure she's on time. That's actually the hardest part of the entire journey, is making sure she's, she's on time. Um, but I really love to know where I'm going, and I love the directions. And those who went out to LA will know that I missed Google Maps. Uh, Google Maps is my friend. They got us past congestion, and we even got to... Um, to Sam's brother before he did, and he left before us, and he'd been there a week. It was amazing. So, you know, I do love directions. I like to try and get past things that are going to be barriers. But, you know, directions, are they're instructions, aren't they? We have a choice as whether or not we actually accept instructions into our life. You know, we can, we can sit in a car sometimes, and someone's telling us where to go. They're going, turn left, and you turn right, because you don't really think they know where they're going. And then you end up in the middle of nowhere, and think, oh, they actually knew where they were going. So, you know, today, we've got some choice. We're going to have some instructions, and are we actually going to heed those instructions? So the verse we're looking at today is in Hebrews 13, verse 16, and it should appear up here. So here is the verse. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So today's verse starts with a really, really clear instruction, doesn't it? Do not, not try You know, just see if you can, but really, really clear. Do not. It's a very active, isn't it? Do is a very active word, but do not. You know, that that really blew me away to be good. It was just like, wow, that hit me really, really hard. But it says, do not do what? Do not neglect. So what's neglect? And that will come up here. This is not a dictionary definition. This was purely my thoughts on neglect. So don't look it up in dictionary and realize it doesn't say that in my dictionary. So neglect is a failure to look after something properly, a failure to give someone or something the attention they deserve. It's a willful act. It's a turning away to do other things or sometimes simply doing nothing. Sometimes it could be forgetting to do something is actually we've not given it the importance that it deserves. Now, have you ever neglected anything? You ever neglected anyone? I know I have. 
I've done it a lot in my life, and I look back and I can see neglect. Now, one of the things that um, I was thinking about when I saw neglect, a good houseplant. Anyone ever had a really nice houseplant given to them as a gift? It looks fabulous, doesn't it? It comes with uh, lots of flowers on it, uh, beautiful leaves. You put it, it prime a place on a windowsill, you water it, you feed it. It looks fabulous. So you really love it, and you show people it when they come into house. Have you seen this houseplant? It's just amazing. But after a little while, what happens is you start to take that for granted a little bit, don't you? And you think, oh, I, water, oh, I didn't water today. It's okay. I'll water it tomorrow. Oh, I didn't feed it this week. It's not a problem. It'll be all right. And then time goes by, and you've forgotten about it a little bit, until you look at it on a window, and you think, why are the flowers falling off? Why have the leaves fallen off? I can't believe that. It was fine yesterday. But you see, neglect is something that's easy, that easily will seep into our lives. Now, here, we're being urged not to do that. We're being urged to do good and to share what we have. Now, you might say, well, actually, that's all well and good. I do that. I praise God. I'm, I'm really sort of nice with people. I look to share things with people. But, you know, sometimes it's not easy to do that all the time. Sometimes we find that quite difficult. And we think, actually, I'm not good enough to do that. Have you seen him over there? He's fantastic. Have you seen that person over there? They do that so well. If I do it, it's not going to be so good. You know, so quite often we fall into that comparison of comparing ourselves. You know, and we can be paralyzed at times by fear, whether that be fear of failure. I've tried that before. It didn't work very well. Maybe fear of past disappointments or fears of challenges, heartbreaks. Sometimes... It's because of bitterness or unforgiveness. You know, things in our past that we've not dealt with. And we think, well, I can't do that because it's just not going to work. You know, and we can sometimes look down on ourselves and limit ourselves. And we tend to then trade life just to exist, just to get by. Now, whoever who's ever felt like that, that sometimes that you just trade life just to get by, you think it's hard enough just to do this, the little things. Looks like it might just be me. Uh, I'm sure some of you have felt like that. It's not just me. You know, but when the first time I looked at this verse, the words that stood out for me were what you have. It says, share what you have. Now, that made me think, what exactly do I have? Now, initially, I started to think about what little I could offer. So I started to be a bit like that fearful. I, for years, I grew up... Um, limiting myself because I was told as a child I was rubbish and nothing and I'd achieve nothing. So for years I believed that, so I limited myself. But you no, know, God actually, he didn't slap me around the face because God's a loving God, but God hit me very hard when I looked at those verses and there was a sentence that came to my mind and it's actually what I'm going to talk about is really around that and it's, you're not called to survive, you're called to thrive. So I needed to look differently and he said, no, look at who you are in Christ. See your real identity of who you are. You know, it's no good looking at just existing. So let's look at the Bible to see that it says who we are and what we have. So who are we? In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul declares, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Now, I love it, and uh, Paul helpfully breaks this down in Ephesians. So we're going to have a little look in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. And um, I'll read them, and then some things will come up on screen. So Ephesians 1, 3 to 14 says this. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, just amazing truths in those words. So we'll bring up the next slide. We just want to touch very briefly on some of the things that said that. In verse 3, it talks about every spiritual blessing. So straight away, though, it's not you receive some blessing. Every spiritual blessing. There is abundance in Christ of blessing for you. Abundance in blessing. And in verse 4, it talks about eternal roots. That before the beginning of time, you were known, you were loved. So you're special. You're precious to God. It's not an afterthought. From the beginning of time, you're loved. Verse 5 then tells you that you're chosen. You're sons and daughters of the Most High God. You're not insignificant. You're part of his family. And in verse 7, it talks about redemption, forgiveness. You have been redeemed. You have been lifted up. You've been forgiven. You've been set free from the things that hold you back and brought into an inheritance in verse 11, an inheritance that you now have already. You don't wait for this inheritance. It's been given to you. And verse, I love verse 13. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. It just makes me think of a, a royal stamp of approval when they stick it on the envelope with the wax. You're sealed. It is solid. It is secure. Now, in Ephesians 2, he goes on to tell us about the implications of this. So, in verses 1, we're not going to read all those. I'll be here all day. Um, but in verses 1 to 5, he tells us that we were dead in our sins. But now, we're alive in Christ. We're alive in him. No longer the old is that. The new has come. And that we are raised and seated in heavenly places in Christ. You are raised and seated with Christ. And the immeasurable riches of his grace. Sometimes I think we, we don't really fully look at just the amazing measures of the grace that God has given us. It is, it is immeasurable. And we're saved by that grace. What for? For good works. You know, it's his workmanship for good works. And he concludes really in Ephesians 3 verse 20 with a summary. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power of work within us. See, it's his work within us. It's not about what we can do. But it's actually what Jesus does through us. It's our identity is in him. It's not okay to just survive. 
Okay? It is not okay to just survive. We're more than conquerors in Christ. You're sons and daughters of the Most High God. You sit in heavenly places. You sit there already. It's not to come, oh, I will sit there. You sit there right now. You're part of the king's household. That means you're royalty. Yeah? No longer insignificant. You're royalty. You're part of his household. Peter 2 verse 9 declares it. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of that darkness into his marvellous light. You know, when we start to look at that, it's just amazing, isn't it? It's amazing to know your true identity. For years, I walked in bitterness and in shame. For years, I walked thinking I was rubbish and no good. You know, because those are the lies I chose to believe. But God says, no, that's lies. You are a royal priesthood. You're chosen. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. You're given new life. It's amazing. You are the light of the world. It says, let your light shine so others may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. That's Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16. And he says, you, he doesn't say you're a bit of a light, just shed a little bit of illumination. He says, you are the light. You are the light. You know, our challenge isn't around the battle of can I do it, can I not do it. Do you know what our challenge is and what our battle is? It's believing God at what he says. It's believing in what he says in his word and standing in that victory with him. You know, he's really clear. You know, you don't do it alone. In fact, you can't do it alone. In John 15, verse 4 to 5, Jesus was uh, very clear when he says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branches you know, cannot bear fruit by itself, you look at a tree, there's no way the fruit's going to grow unless it's on a healthy branches. Neither can you. You're not going to bring fruit unless you abide in Christ. And he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. But with him, we can do everything. So it's not what I can give, but it's actually about, do I give myself to Jesus so that he can work in me? So I've got a couple of examples from the Bible that we'll have a little look through. So the first one, and you don't need to turn to these. I'll try and keep them small and summarize them. But in 2 Kings, chapter 6 to 7, the king of Syria at the time, Ben-Hadad, he took his entire army and he besieged Samaria. That was a real great famine for the people of Israel. There was very little food. Uh, Actually, what little food there was was going for absolutely extortionate prices. And quite horrific things were happening. If you read those verses, you'll see that even one woman boiled her own son so that they could eat their own son. It was a desperate situation. And there were four lepers who stood outside the gate. And those four lepers were talking to themselves and thinking, we could stay here outside the gate. There's no food. What's going to happen to us? We're going to die. We could go into the city with the people. But actually, we've heard about what's happening in the city. And we know that if we go there, we're going to die as well. Or perhaps we'd go to the Syrians who are encamped nearby. Now, let's face it, they're going to kill us. But actually, if they don't kill us, they might actually give us some food. So they decided, obviously, that the third option was the best option. And they went off towards the Syrian camp. Now, what they didn't know was God had already made the Syrians hear the sound of a mighty army. So the Syrians were quaking in their boots, literally, uh, thinking that the king of Israel had hired help from the Hittites and the Egyptians. So they heard the sound of this massive army approaching, and they'd fled in the twilight, and they'd left everything, 
everything in a camp. So when, it, when a leper's got to camp, it was pie time. Fab! All this food was amazing. They ran into tents. They had their food. Oh, really good quality food, this as well. And they saw silver and gold. And they took some of that and fine clothing. And they hid that. Fab, look at this. We're all right. We're all right, guys, aren't we? We can survive now. We're okay. We can hide things back for ourselves. Life looks great. So they had all they needed, but actually they knew it was wrong. How could they be silent? Surely they'd be punished in the morning if someone else found out. How could they keep this good news to themselves? The the people, that people in the city were dying. So they went back to the city and called to the gatekeepers. And people were sent out to verify their story. And the camp was plundered and the people were saved. Now the second example I just want to look at is in the New Testament. And Jesus told a parable in Matthew 25, verse 14 to 30, about the the parable of the talents. And this is where there were three servants. And a master was going away. So he entrusted these three servants with some talents. Now the master knew what they could cope with and what they'd be productive with. So to one of them, he gave five. And that that person invested them and made five more. To one, he gave two. And that person invested and made two more. To one, he gave one. And that person was then fearful. What am I going to do with it? I know what. I'll hide it. Because that way, at least it survives. At least it stays. When he comes back, it's still here. But what happened when the master came back? He blessed the one with five and gave him even more. He blessed the one with two and gave him even more. But the one with one, he took it from him and gave it to the one who already had loads because he refused to do anything with it. He refused to actually think, actually, what could I do with that? How can I glorify my master and give him him more? You see, it's not the volume of what we have. And sometimes we might see people who are blessed and seem to have lots. But actually, God has given each one of us talents. And it's not what we have, but it's what we do with them. Do we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives? Use the gifts we have for his glory and see and flourish? Are we stepping out for Christ daily? And it reminded me, actually, of a very small example when my son, Josh, was a toddler. We were in church, and there were a couple in church, and the the lady was in a wheelchair. She was really, really ill. Um, During the service, Josh got up off his seat, and he was probably two or three. I don't think he was very old. And he wandered to the church and laid his head on her lap. He put his arms around her. And, and stayed there for a while. Then he walked back and sat down. He didn't say anything. This is a little bit strange. He wouldn't normally do this. But when I asked him, he just said, I thought God thought, you know, God wanted her to know that he loved her. You know, after the service, the lady came up actually really quite emotional to us. And she said that morning before the service, she had been in such a low place. She said, I really don't know whether you love me, God. You need to show me today. You need to give me a hug. You know, and I thought, it blows me away now. I get emotional anyway. But it, it blows me away now that this was a young child with a simple bit of obedience. What did he have to give? You know, he didn't have lots of money. He didn't have medical um, care that he could have done something. But he walked up to her and he gave her hope because he felt God say, she needs to know love. You know, and that, that's what God's saying to you now. It's not about big things. It's about the ability to show people his love. You know, it was a massive boost for her. It was a massive boost for me. We have a choice, people. We have a choice. Now, are we storing up for ourselves things, or are we allowing God to work through us, to declare the good news to those around us? 
Are we like the lepers who initially were really happy for what they had? They kept it to themselves so that they could survive? Or like the servant with one talent who went and hid it because he was fearful of losing it, thinking that would be the best option? Or are we at a place where we're declaring what God has done, using the talents he's given us? Just as it says in Micah 6 verse 8, it says, Oh man, what's good? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? You see, we're not called to survive. We are called to thrive. We have new life. We have abundant life. We have a message of hope and salvation and freedom in Jesus that's too good to hold on to. It's too good to be set aside. It needs declaring in our daily walk, in our talking, in our giving, in our workplace, in our home, in our social gatherings. I love it. Mark Stibby actually says, we're not called to be risk takers. We're called sorry, to be risk takers, not undertakers. We're not waiting to die. We're waiting. We have life. We're here to live abundantly in the goodness of God and to use what is entrusted to us. It's this sacrificial life that is so pleasing to God. He loves it when we abide in him and we walk in the freedom and love that Christ has given us and we're filled with overflowing because you can't hold it back. You can't hold back the amazing salvation that God's given you. It's just incredible. You can't hold it back. So why? Why do we settle sometimes for a surviving lifestyle? You know, so I'm going to end now with just a couple of questions and, and Bev is going to come up. But in what ways have you settled for a surviving lifestyle? Do you really want to be that? You know, what are you going to do differently? No, actually, that's not our destiny. That's not our identity. See, you're the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And God can do amazing things through you. Will you let him do that? Because when you do, those sacrifices are so pleasing to God. And he gives you reward in heaven. Now, who doesn't want reward in heaven? I, I long for reward in heaven. And you know, God's, we've already got a place there, but there are rewards to be had in heaven if we allow God to work through us and share his love with those around us. And you'll see Lowestoft transformed. If each one of us just does little things like that, you'll see Lowestoft transformed. Who doesn't want to see Lowestoft transformed? Who doesn't want to see Lowestoft raised again, knowing the goodness of God? I want to see that. I know you guys want to see it as well. We love this place. God loves this place. And, you know, and he says, do good, do good. And you'll see the amazing things that God can do because of that. Thank you. Here's Bev. Um, what an act to follow, hey? Um, when I was asked to look at this verse, I, was, I read through a couple of versions, but I really like the message version, so that hopefully will come up. Um, I'd like to say thank you to the tech guys. I have no idea about PowerPoints or anything like that. The, guy, the mic's laughing because he knows how bad I am in the office. Um, so I'd just like to thank uh, Jack and Adam for putting together my PowerPoint. Um, otherwise, you'd just be listening to me whittle on for however long I'm going to be here. Okay, so the message says, make sure you don't take things for granted and go slack on working for the common good. Share what you have with others. Take God's particular pleasure in acts of worship and a different kind of sacrifice that takes place in kitchen and workplace and on the streets. 
And uh, when I read that, it made me think of the feeding of the 5,000, a story that we most probably all really know well. But I'd like Jake Clark to come and read it to us, just to remind us the details of that amazing story. Our young people are fantastic, aren't they? Um, And uh, Jake's going to do a grand job. Yes. Thank you. Right. I'll just sit down. Yeah, you, you sit there. I'll go here. Right, so this is, this is John chapter 6. I've got the NIV version, and uh, this is verses 1 to 14. So sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs that he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place. And the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Done. Okay, so the the little boy wouldn't have even been counted in that head count. Um, It was just men, 5,000 men. So um, no women and children would have been counted. And I just wonder how many of us discount ourselves. The little boy could have limited himself because of his age. He could have discounted himself... Um, And I wonder how many of us say, I can't do that because I'm too old, too young, I'm single, my lack of confidence, qualifications, money or time. But in the Hebrews verse, um, yes, they're already amazing. Um, God wants us to face our fears and do seemingly impossible things like we were praying for Sue and Vicky earlier weren't we and Sue kept saying nothing is is impossible for God and that is just so true with God things all things are possible God has never asked us to be anything or do anything that he didn't fully intend to empower us to be or accomplish so why not be his hands and feet Um, I had the privilege of going to LA at Easter 
uh, with a team from here. And uh, I was really impacted by that. I think I'll be changed forever as a result. Um, but as a result, I, ca I came home and I wanted to read this book, which is by Caroline Bonnet, who is the wife of the pastor who has set up the Dream Centre, the church that we went to um, visit. And there's something about the word willing in this title. It's willing to walk on water. And in it, she says, she says this. He, as in God, isn't satisfied with healing people's wounds just so they can merely survive life. There's a bit of a theme. Richard and I didn't compare notes. He wants to transform people to give them a new identity so their suffering no longer marks them. He wants people to bring healing to others through the very story that bound them to shame. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had 10 fantastically brave people get baptised. And um, testimony is really powerful because all those stories are unique and individual. And um, testimony is so important. Never be ashamed to tell your stories. Um, again, when we were in LA, we saw lots of people serving, making a real difference, who, who could have been robbed by their past. Instead, they were using it as a springboard and a power pack to do something amazing for people. So never let your history limit you. Um, I was a single mum. I'd uh, gone through a, a severe sort of tragic breakup. I was thinking this morning, no breakup is ever easy, is it? They're all pretty rubbish. But um, I'd gone through a breakup. And I remember a lady saying to me, Bev, you can have this as a backpack that will weigh you down, or you can use it as a power pack to spur you on and um, make a difference in people's lives. You'll have a level of understanding. That is so true, isn't it? We can either use our past experiences to weigh us down or to power us forward. Uh, the little boy gave what he had. Um, we may not feel that we have very much, but when I was thinking about this, I was reminded of hearing about a lady in Edward Berea's church in Kenya. And bless her, all she had were earthworms. And, but she loved these earthworms, and she was good at multiplying earthworms. I don't know how you do that. Uh, or what the science is like, but she made a living of selling earthworms and she was able to support her family and give money to the church by earthworms. And it just made me think, you know, so, I expect most of us in this country have more than just earthworms, but what can we give? It's important that we all use what we have to serve God. We all have two ears to listen with, a mouth that we can speak kind, encouraging words to each other with. We may have a spare room that we can give someone a space to live. We may be good at cooking, so we might like to make meals for people or even just cake. Um, the ladies who did the bag ladies project sewed. Their, their talent and their gift was sewing, so they were able to make bags for food bank which is amazing you may have time so you can just get alongside someone and mentor them spend time with them encourage them in their journey there's so much we can do if you're a night owl and you like young people you might even like to be a town pastor 
and go out until 2, 3 o'clock in the morning on a Friday or a Saturday. Uh, we have all been given gifts, talents, experiences, time that we can share with others. There's so much we can do. The little boy sacrificed his lunch. That's the thing that he decided to give. I wonder what our favourite packed lunches are. As the New Day crew would know, my favourite packed lunch is a cheese beetroot salad cream sandwich with a packet of plain crisps. I went to school with a girl who loved peanut butter and tomato sauce. She had it every day. I didn't like it at all. But the little boy, they might have been his favourite fish and his favourite bread, but he was prepared to give them to Jesus and entrust his lunch to Jesus and look what he did with it. So sometimes we might have to sacrifice good things to God, things that we love, things that have been good. Sometimes there's a cost to what we do, and that makes it a sacrifice. Sometimes we have to stand up in the crowd and say, that is what I can offer. Sometimes it will mean giving up good things. In Matthew 8, 18 to 22, it speaks about the cost of following Jesus and maybe even giving up your house to follow him. But because the little boy's sacrifice, look what God did. He, he, he wants us to do things like this in our home, kitchen, workplace and on the street I wonder what impact we can all make if we do our little bit. I couldn't speak about fish and bread without actually speaking about fish, i.e. food in the school holidays, um, because um, it's something so dear to my heart. And this holiday is absolutely fantastic because throughout the town we have all five days of the week covered So Monday to Friday, families can go and have a free meal um, in various churches, which is fantastic. Um, We run two of those sessions, and since the holidays have started, we've fed 143 people. So um, that's down to a team of volunteers sacrificing, given the little that they have, their time, their energy, their cooking skills... And um, what a difference we're making. Now, the last part of the story I felt was very important. Um, And in fact, I think this may well speak to some people here. But it's about nothing being wasted. And Jesus even being interested in going and picking up the crumbs and getting the 12 baskets of leftovers. And I don't know... But I've just got a feeling that there might be people here that have described their life or themselves as crummy. It's something that sometimes people say to us. And, but I just want to say that it's a lie and it's an untruth and that we all have something that God can use us for. God sees you, even if you, if you describe yourself as crummy or if you've had other people describe your life or yourself as crummy god has something for us all to do i just want to finish with a testimony from la of a guy called ken 
And I want to tell you before I read this, that this young man is now serving as the youth pastor at the Dream Centre, working with lots of young people. But this is a real story of transformation and hope. Uh, I'm living the scripture that says that those who are forgiven much love much. For many years, I was so addicted to drugs and alcohol that I didn't care about anything or anyone. I lost everything, including my family and many friends. I'll never forget the night I got a call from a friend begging me to pick her and her baby up because her boyfriend was high on drugs and going crazy. I arrived too late. The boyfriend had shot and killed my friend, her baby, and then himself. After that, my life got worse. I didn't care about myself anymore. All I wanted to do was die. I had been arrested so many times, the court labelled me hopeless and crazy. Yet my mother and sister never stopped praying for me. One day, my brother-in-law visited me in jail and asked me if I wanted to make a change. He told me about Jesus and how he wanted to love and forgive me. I was unsure about Jesus, but I did want a better life. Once I got out of jail, I went straight into Teen Challenge, where I met and gave my life to Jesus. I completed the discipleship program, went on a Bible school, and became a children's pastor. After living such a crazy life, it wasn't easy for me to think about God could ever really use me. I knew he loved me, but I felt so underqualified and wanted to quit. Eventually, I found healing in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27. God chose things the world considered foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. Yes, I am imperfect, but God uses imperfect people to change the world. I started to experience God's unconditional love, forgiveness and healing, which helped me move from the past to the present where I walked in God's confidence. That is so true for all of us. God has amazing things for us to do. I just encourage you, if you've been challenged by anything that Richard has said or that I've said, there's a ministry team here um, at the end. You know, let's not get complacent with, with what God's given us. Let's use it for the goodness of his kingdom. Let's extend the kingdom in Lowestoft. Let's see that Lowestoft full of... Um, people knowing Jesus and um, loving him and serving him. Thank you. Haven't they served us so well this morning? Um, If just the band could come up and uh, let's just close our eyes for, for a minute. I think this is one of those moments where God just speaks so clearly truth. Truth. Not, uh, not opinions, but a truth of who we are. And I think what God is speaking to us this morning is our willingness to accept that truth instead of lies. Or instead of a negative view of ourselves to see ourselves the way he sees us. 
And just as the band finishes up with a song here, I just want to take a minute just to ask the Holy Spirit that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, as the Bible says, that we may know the hope to which we are called, the incomparable great power to us who believe, and to know how deep and wide and long is the love of God, and to know that love. I just want to pray, and I just want us to take a moment before we leave this place and go into our world. If you have felt this morning that there's truth that I'm not completely believing this morning, I just want us to have a simple prayer. Father, will you reveal it to me by your Holy Spirit? It's not something we catch with our head. It's not logic that we figure out in our mind. It's not something that makes sense. It's something of the Spirit that the Spirit of adoption is stirred afresh in our heart that we know we're not orphans, but we're children of the Father. Let's just take a moment and just say, Father, open my eyes to see what I've been given. And in the name of Jesus, a prayer can be, I reject the lies and the view of myself that doesn't line up with how God sees me. That I'm not scraps, that I'm not second best, but I'm a child of the King. I'm all those things that the Bible says I am that Richard read. And what I have, I'm going to give. But it starts with us receiving truth and rejecting lies. Father, we just come to you this morning and we thank you for your word that speaks so true. Your plumb line, that, that, that the line that just sets itself up against our wall that's to show what's really true. And when things don't line up to it in our lives, we choose to follow your truth. In Jesus' name, Lord, reveal your truth to me this morning. Just ponder that just as we sing this last song. And ask God, God, what would you like me to do with what I've been given? And see what he says.